I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. With Boyd Matheson. As the eyes of the world look to Ukraine, Congress is rushing to meet yet another deadline just ahead of another government shutdown. This is the fourth time we've seen this in September. And so we have this massive bill, well over almost 3,000 pages, which nobody's read yet. And of course, it's chock full with this lovely new title we have, Community Project Funding Request. (coughs) Earmark. Uh, is there a case for earmarks or is this just one way around it uh, in this huge bill with all these components that are just a way for Washington to politicize really what should be a very serious, very somber discussion around spending and what goes next? And whenever it gets to dollars and cents and the congressional nonsense that goes with it, we look to Brian Riedel. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. He previously served as Senator Rob Portman's chief economist. And uh, Brian, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thank you. All right. So as we uh, look at this new spending bill, I I know you're probably one of the three people on the planet who have read uh, all 2,741 pages (laughs) of it. Uh, Tell us what is going wrong in uh, this particular version of the big bad bill. Well, there's a couple things. I mean, one one thing that I'm I'm also frustrated about is it's actually 33 different unrelated bills stapled together. So if a lawmaker like some part but doesn't like another part, they have to vote for all 33 policies and, and bills together. Um, but the, the other issue at hand is this is the first year since the 2010 ban that Congress is bringing back pork barrel earmarks. And we haven't counted them entirely yet, but in just one part of the bill for the Departments of Labor, Education, and Health and Human Services – the list of earmarks is 150 pages long, and that's just for one of the, the parts of the bill. So Congress has just dove in headfirst back into the pork barrel swamp. Oh, my goodness. Uh, okay, so I want to – I just want – for our listeners, I just want to slow down and repeat what this is. So, again, in, two, in 2010, uh, earmarks were, were banned, so we took that out of the equation. Now we're bringing them back for the first time. And I'm going to remind everyone that there are – are 12 major sections uh, to this, and you tweeted about this today, Brian, uh, yep. and saying that in just one of the 12 sections, the earmark, so this isn't the number of earmarks, this is the number of pages of earmarks, is 150 pages. Correct. Of the 33 bills stapled together, 12 of them are the regular appropriations bills that fund the discretionary spending of the federal government. It's about $1.5 trillion. And yes, just one of those 12 
um, appropriations bills has 150 pages of earmarks. By the time you know it's all said and done, when they actually count the total amount of earmarks in this bill, I mean it could be anywhere from five to ten thousand. Wow! So five to ten thousand, uh, and whatever the new fancy name for it is, community project funding request. Uh, which, again, for our listeners, is just a fancy way of saying this is how you're going to get your free skateboard park uh, or uh, some other thing for the for the home district. Uh, and the fact that we're looking at so many of those, uh, which, again, don't get a lot of accountability. We don't get to really talk about those and debate those. And, of course, because we're doing this at the 11th hour again, uh, there won't really be any time to to change it, amend it, or uh, even try to get some of those thousands of earmarks out of there. Yeah, and, and earmarks are, are – they were eliminated because they were so corrupting. Lawmakers generally – are not the best people to be selecting the individual recipients of government grants for programs that they really don't know much about. So what happened is they started essentially auctioning off government grants to the highest bidder. Um, There were numerous investigations. Lawmakers went to jail. There was one study that showed every dollar in campaign contributions by companies could buy $28 worth of government grants. Um, There was members of the armed services committees who were purposely just lining up uh, government grants for their own campaign contributors. So ultimately what Congress is doing is they're auctioning tax dollars to the highest bidder. If you donate enough money to your member of Congress, you're going to get an enormous government grant. So it's not a merit-based system. It's not a, well, my member of Congress knows better than, than a bureaucrat how to spend this money. It's ultimately members of Congress auctioning your tax dollars for campaign contributions. Wow. And that's one that we all should be up in arms about, uh, <laughs> as it really is this this process. And, and it isn't any longer let's let's make the case for a project or let's make a case to spend this taxpayer money. Uh, it really is just individual members of con- of Congress being able to just line things up and say, well, you know, I'll I'll help you, you help me, and uh, we'll we'll all get uh, better together uh, while pulling up the ladder uh, from the rest of the uh, American people who don't have that access, who don't have that connection, uh, and because of that, uh, miss out on these things. And so it, it does become the rich getting richer. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's not as – these projects don't have government hearings. There's no investigation. There's no hearings on them. There's no accountability. Typically, the way it would work is each office would just be given a pot of tax dollars. Um, if you were in leadership, you get a bigger pot of tax dollars. If you're in a swing state, you get a, you get a bigger pot of tax dollars. If you're in the majority party, you get a bigger pot of tax dollars. And that's basically just a play fund for the member of Congress. You, get a, you, know, you might get a pot of, say, $40 million this year in this appropriations bill, and you get to just hand the $40 million out like candy in government grants to whoever you want. And like I said, the way it ends up working typically is members of Congress aren't really qualified to understand some of the more complicated grants, like if it's for some sort of technological research that may be over their heads. So instead, again, they just end up auctioning it off to campaign contributors. And I think the better way to do it would be just to have formula grants where the money goes to state and local governments, and the state and local governments can select the local recipients. You don't want Washington bureaucrats doing it, but members of Congress really can't be trusted either. They should 
formula to mayors and governors and let them make sure that the money is well spent in your in your city. Yeah, and that that is that's the key that uh, having the federal government uh, and members of Congress pick the winners and losers and who gets the grants and who gets the funds and who gets the fast track uh, is I don't quite think the way the founders uh, had envisioned that rolling out, uh, but getting that down to the local level. And this is one of those uh, where I will be very equal opportunity offender because you don't get $30 trillion in debt through conflict. This is actually one of the areas where collusion between both political parties, people in power on both sides, uh, actually come together to make sure they all can spend and they can all get reelected. Exactly. This is Republicans and Democrats. I mean, Republicans were the ones who led the ban for earmarks in 2010. But even before the Democrats took Congress, a lot of Republicans were itching to bring back earmarks as well. It just took a Democratic majority to put it over. And they're just scanning through the list of earmarks. There's nearly as many Republican earmarks in there as Democratic earmarks. And so now we're going to kind of move into a political mode where lawmakers try to get reelected based on shoveling pork instead of making the proper decisions for their constituents. It really changes the way lawmakers approach their job. Um, it, it becomes more about distributing goodies than, than focusing on big picture issues or, imagine this, trying to balance the budget. Yeah, absolutely. Great insight, as always. Brian Riedel, Senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute always helps us make sense of the nonsense and the dollars and cents, by the way. And uh, Brian, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. That's Brian Riedel, and, and Brian helps us break that down. And you all should have your blood boiling just a little bit higher right now. Uh, this is infuriating to me that we are going back to where we were in 2010. In 2010. And we are going back to allowing... You always hear the phrase, you know, let that representative bring home the bacon for the home district or for the home state, uh, picking winners and losers, channeling funds to to friends and cronies. Uh, this is a, a major step backwards. This is the first time this particular bill is the first time uh, in over a decade that we've had earmarks. Remember, they were banned in 2010. Republicans led that charge. Utah Senator Mike Lee, that was one of his first uh, acts in Congress, uh, was to vote on that earmark ban. Uh, and now here we are uh, back again with Congress and many in Congress have been pushing. Brian was spot on. Members of both party have been pushing. Well, we need earmarks back because they grease the skids uh, for, for work to be done. It's how you negotiate. Uh, you give some of that pork away and then maybe someone des- decides to vote for whatever bill it is. Uh, and that's part of the problem. That's not the way it's supposed to work or supposed to happen. And again, we're talking about a bill that will approach almost $2 trillion, 2,741 pages. It came out this morning, and Nancy Pelosi and the House of Representatives is going to vote on it this afternoon. Nobody read it. There's not a single member of Congress that could read 2,741 pages of financial text uh, in that amount of time. And as Brian pointed out, in just one of the 12 sections, there are 150 pages, 150 pages of earmarks. It's estimated there'll be over 5,000 earmarks that will go to friends, family, cronies, special interests without anything of input from you. And guess what? It's your money. Uh, We all need to be uh, a little riled on this one because Congress is taking a major step back 
They're going to claim it's a step forward because they're going to avert a government shutdown, which they created in and of themselves. Uh, and we're going to continue uh, to pile on our national debt, which is one of the biggest national security threats we have in this nation. We're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. Uh, when we come back, the world, uh, will the world keep sanctioning uh, Russia, oil and gas? What happens there? Uh, what about China? How does this all play in? Senator Mitt Romney has some thoughts on the global political situation during a forum recently. You want to listen to what he has to say coming up next. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.